Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that means, if you have been listening to the podcast before it, that you know you are, in fact, listening to the Crowncast. And uh, you may have found that from the sound of my voice. You may have found that from my name. You may have found that from looking at the logo of the Crowncast as you opened up this podcast. But what ultimately matters is that you're here, and we love you for being so. And we, of course, is myself and the man who always joins me, and that man is Justin. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan. How are you doing this afternoon? I am doing well. Uh, We are looking at breaking down a little bit more of the nil-nil draw between Colorado and Charlotte today, as well as uh, doing a little bit more of our dive into our attack and and trying to draw some some ideas out of that. So uh, we're going to get pretty much right into it today, Justin. And I I don't think I'm going to be surprising anybody when I say that a nil-nil draw is usually not the most exciting thing in football. Do you think that's a fair conclusion? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, this is the one that all of the the football haters out there uh, here in the U.S. like to pull out and say, oh, well, you can play all the way and not score a single goal. And like, yes, you can. Uh, I, sometimes it's exciting to have a nil-nil, but the majority of the time it's, it's not particularly uh, entertaining. And that was, for the most part, I think, the case this past Saturday when we played Colorado out in Denver. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I think that there was there was a lot of good in the game, but I think that we have seen, and, and I think you'll agree with me for this, that at least in the early phases of this team, that Miguel Ramirez seems to want to set us up as a, hey, let's go out on the road and let's play smart football first. Let's, let's hold our own because uh, we talked about this in a previous pod, Justin, that uh, you cannot lose a football match if they don't score on you. And this was a great example of the fact that you cannot lose if they don't score. Uh, yeah. That being said, that has sort of been the mentality that it seems like we go out into these matches away with. And I will admit, I don't actually mind that in the beginning of these things. I personally have a mentality that if you're going to build a strong team in the long term, they have to know how to defend, and they have to know how to defend under pressure, and they have to be very comfortable in those situations. I don't necessarily think it's where you should stay. Uh, Justin, I think you will uh, agree with me that I am the first person raising my hand and saying we should play the ball or we should play the game in our opponent's box as much as possible and in our box as little as possible. But I also don't have any problem with making sure a team knows how to properly defend do you think that's a fair statement yeah i mean you know you're you're right and we're we're not going to lose if we don't concede but i i think that it, it's always difficult in sports going on the road and everything i understand the mentality of setting up you know to to sort of defend the low block and then see if you can kind of strike uh in a counter-attacking fashion um the only real issue i've got with it right is I don't think it's necessarily worked so far. Yeah. You know, I think if you look at our history, if you look at our road record so far, this is the first point we've taken, uh, you know, on the road against MLS competition, you know, and I don't want to downplay the, the Greenville triumph and the, the you win in the U S open or anything like that. But when we go on the road against MLS competition, uh, you know, in the league, this is the first time we've taken a point in this, you know, let's set up to defend and try and hit them on the counter. So, 
and conceptually i understand but i don't know that the results match what we've got here you know and Justin, you brought it up, so I'm going to move this sort of up on our timetable a little bit and uh, remind everyone that if you have not had the honor of hearing it already, we did have a bonus episode for you guys um, because we know you like the hashtag contents. Uh, so we had a bonus episode on which we brought on the president of the Greenville Triumphs fan club or fan uh, supporter section, uh, a man named Andrew Phillips, who uh, we became best friends immediately. We even quoted the the stepbrothers line, uh, did we just become best friends? Yep. Uh, because we, we got along well. But uh, that is a man who, who bleeds the Greenville Triumph green. And it was a pleasure to have him on the podcast. If you're interested in hearing more about how that game was played and you know how, what we thought about that particular match, you can go find that bonus content. We encourage you to go check it out. And we encourage you to uh, check out the Reedy River Riot and the Greenville Triumph as well. That being said, Justin, we looked dead on the field today. Would you would you agree with that? The team looked tired. Yeah, I mean, as as much as we love the the win at the U.S. Open, it is playing midweek. It's playing you know late night midweek, and and we were on the road. We went down to uh, to Greenville, and uh, it, you know couldn't close it out in normal time. And the way the U.S. Open matches work in, compared to the MLS matches is. We, we need a winner that night in that tournament because it's a single elimination tournament. If you lose, you're knocked out sort of thing. So um, you got to have a winner that night. You play the 90. If you're not done after the 90, if you don't have a clear winner after 90 minutes, you play 30 more minutes, two 15-minute halves. If you don't have a winner after that, you go to penalties, and whoever uh, hits the most penalty kicks wins. We didn't go all the way to penalties, but we did play 120 minutes in the middle of the week. A lot of the players who started – we're not necessarily our normal starters. We had a full, you know, really a full sort of uh, a revamp of the lineup for this match against uh, Greenville. But, you know, midway through the, the second half, late in the second half, we brought starters in. We, pro- we brought in players like Bender. We brought in, you know, players like Bronico. And they ended up having to play 45 minutes, you know, basically a half of football in the middle of the week and then pack up and travel to Colorado to play and it showed we were we were not particularly energetic you know there's an altitude issue when you talk about denver too um yeah so all of that put together we looked tired we looked a little off our game i want to weigh in here a little bit because whenever you watch the biggest league in the world which i think most people will agree is the premier league in england you hear teams complain about having to take the long journey north, which for them is like an hour flight or is like a four-hour bus ride. Um, the elevation change in in England, not that there isn't any, is is nowhere near the level of difference from, you know, sea level to Colorado. And this is big, you know. If you hear these top-level athletes talking about how it affects their their game and their ability to play, how the difference in how thick or thin the air is, uh, it matters. And to have the scale of difference that we have, and, you know, Justin, I think you brought up a great point that I hadn't even fully considered until you said it, and that was it wasn't like we had a game on Sunday, left on Monday, and spent a week getting used to that that place 
we did have to play midweek in roughly the same conditions as normal, which is great for a midweek game. But that means we didn't have much time to to get there and get used to it. Um, we didn't have the normal full week to get there and prepare. And even that is probably not enough to really feel your best. So that matters. And to, to come out of that game, I, I, even now just sitting here, I have to say that is a very tight turnaround. And, you know, taking a point there is fair. Uh, you know, I think maybe one of the other things that you may want to consider when you've just had, you know, a large portion of your squad play just a couple of days before and everything is, you know, you guys are starting 11 on the pitch. Some of them did go just a couple of days ago. We save our substitutions under Miguel Angel Ramirez until fairly late in the match. And I just wonder in this match in particular, and, and I mean, I'd love to see it as a strategy change in general going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we've talked about, they obviously listen to the podcast, so maybe this will make it over to Miguel Angel Ramirez. But you know, I don't think we're we're seeing subs in general for Charlotte come in until, you know, seventieth minute or or later. We're seeing very very late subs for Charlotte. We're not necessarily seeing all of the substitutions being used uh, for Charlotte that that we've got available to us. And generally, when you hit the hour mark for a lot of football clubs in in the world's game and everything like that. When you hit the hour mark, that's when you're really thinking about who's the time to, you know, who who do you throw in? Where do you get that fresh injection of pace? Where do you get that fresh injection of energy? And, you know, is Miguel Angel Ramirez maybe waiting a little bit longer than these players can afford? Because I think we saw energy when we had substitutes, you know. Mm-hmm. It would have been nice for that energy to have a little bit more time to, to work on the field. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, Justin, and according to what I see here, it looks like the first substitute, good call, by the way, was was on the 69th minute mark, and it was Ben Bender for uh, T.D. Ortiz. And I will say, maybe, especially considering the amount of running Ortiz put in in that match, maybe we could have seen him come out a little bit earlier. Um, I don't necessarily think he deserved to come out. I think it would have been a, you know, I think he worked his butt off in that game. So I think if he comes out earlier than that 70-minute mark, it is genuinely that the, that Miguel Ramirez just told him, hey, you are going to run like a madman. And on 60 minutes, we're going to pull you out. You're going to get a good rest. We're going to make sure you stay healthy. And we're going to let the next guy go in there and run like a madman. And But I can see where you're coming from. Ben Bender comes on at 70 minutes. And... Uh, he comes in with Sergio Ruiz, who pulls out Jordi Alcivar. And then we don't see another change until the 90th minute mark. And uh, that's a bit of a surprise, since the game goes for 90 minutes. It's not like it's not like there's a lot of time for uh, Mackenzie Gaines, who almost does change the game, and uh, Derek Jones to actually make a, a real impact in the game. Yeah, I mean, you know, these these guys, you know, they're they're playing for people who they're coming on for people who probably a little gassed after getting some time. You know, I I think both Franco and Ruiz had a little bit of time on Wednesday, Mm -hmm. Um, but but you know, I'd love to see them if you're going to make that second set of subs. I'd love to see them even ten minutes earlier, even at the 80th minute. These guys have 
you know, the opportunity to maybe bring some pace, maybe bring, you know, the, the Jones for Franco swap is a size swap too. You know, you're bringing on a much bigger player in Derek Jones. And so maybe, you know, you bring him on for his presence in the box for, for set pieces, for corner kicks. You know, you're bringing on Mackenzie Gaines. And, and I'm not saying that Daniel Rios is slow, but Mackenzie Gaines, as we saw against Greenville, you know, as we saw against Colorado when he did get that time, he's got some real speed. He has some lightning pace, doesn't he? I mean, he's he's up there. Like, we talked about the fastest legs. players in our teams. And, well, I mean, that's what he does. You know, and I think maybe this is a good opportunity to get on to the McKenzie Gaines chance at the end. And those of you who listen to the post-match, uh, post-react, will know that, that I was uh, I was heartbroken. I was crestfallen. Because, really, with how that chance set up, we should have won this game. Uh, it is a... It is a really easy ball tapped across the box to an absolutely waiting, you know, almost can't miss, guilt-edged open net from our number one striker in Karol Swiderski. Um, at that level, at this league, you've really got to expect that the smarter decision gets made. And, you know, I, I described it earlier as as getting the stars in your eyes, you know, seeing the seeing your name in lights before you've even completed the play. And I I can't fault him completely in Mackenzie Gaines because he does a lot of good work there. He outruns like three people to get to that position. And there is a level of selfishness that you really want out of the people playing at the pointy end of your field. You want people that believe they can take it on themselves. You want people that are willing to pull the trigger. Um, but you also need to have that that awareness of your surroundings because because I'm sure he has watched that back. And I'm sure that he has he has looked at that situation again and said, if I was actually aware that Carol Swiderski was there, of course I slot him the ball. There's no way I try and beat the keeper myself if I was aware of my teammate there. Uh, but he doesn't have the awareness there and Justin, you said this really, really well. Unselfish play wins matches. You know, I, I'm quoting you here. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing I'll say about <laughs> Mackenzie Gaines' awareness of the openness of Carol Swiderski is Swiderski let him know immediately after the uh, the shot was saved that he was available. Uh, you know, you can see Swiderski getting, getting noisy down there on the pitch, so... Um, so, so, you know, it's just a situation where, where we've talked a little bit about, oh, Charlotte FC likes to pass the ball around a lot and look for the, the opportunity to just, uh, you know, pass the ball into the net or, or dribble it into the net. And, and I've knocked Charlotte for this and, and said, we just need to start pulling the trigger more, but there is a, a difference that needs to be recognized and, and acknowledged between, you know, what we do a lot of the time, 30 yards back from, from goal, passing the ball around and going back to our defenders and what this situation was, you know, in the six yard box with a great break that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's also something that I talked about earlier today where we're, we're sitting kind of in this low block and looking to strike um this whole thing is just a couple of touches before before 
you know, Mackenzie Gaines is in on goal. This is Christian Kalina, I, I think, with a goal kick out to Ben Bender, who one touches. You called it a speculative ball on your right. But, you know, a little bit of luck, a little bit of skill, and this thing falls right in Mackenzie Gaines' path to make this break. And all you're looking for is is the right decision to be made there and, and the unselfish decision, uh, not not the I feel the need to try and strike this past the keeper because I want the starting spot away from Daniel Rios or something like that. I, I feel like I deserve this, you know, starting position in the 11 or, or something like that. And I'm assuming a lot about what's going on in Mackenzie Gaines's head here or anything. But um, I think he does have a little look up. I think that he sees Carol Swiderski making the, the run in support. I think that he knows that there's the square ball opportunity there. I don't know if it's a lack of confidence in his passing skill or anything like that, but um, he, he doesn't make, in my opinion, the right choice. He makes the, the choice of if I can beat the guy, I can, I can cover my name in, in glory. I can, you know, point to it and say, I've scored more goals than Daniel Rios. I deserve a spot in the starting 11 in the attack. Um, and instead, uh, you know, because he makes a selfish play, I think he costs us two points on the road. See, I I definitely hear where you're coming from here. I'm going to have to go back and I'm going to have to examine it more closely. Because when I looked at it again, what it looked like to me was somebody who thought he had broken away from the defender and had no angle other than take a relatively good chance shot on the keeper. Um, that may not be what has happened there. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we cannot actually know what is going on in the in the minds of the players other than, you know, what we get to see on, on the screen. Uh, I, I do have some trouble believing that he would not have, have fired that across. Um you know, uh, and maybe it is, maybe that's one of those where he says, this is my opportunity to, to show what I've got. And, and if he does take that mentality, well, we saw it, we know, <laughs> we know what that, what became of that. And it, it, you're right. It cost us two, two points on the road. I think I'm going to transition away from this because I, th- I think that there were, there were other things in this match that, that caused us some challenges that were maybe unfair challenges. And Justin, I'm going to be polite about this. So rarely do I dig into referees. And it, those of you who, again, listen to the, the post-match, I, I finally caved. I finally caved. And, and we gave a card to the referee. But this standard of officiating is something that I personally am not used to. And what it seems to me after having watched it again and spent a little bit more time thinking about it is referees feeling like they need to have control of the game uh, and not really knowing how to go about it. Uh, Not that they're doing a terrible job, but a lot of what the referee seems to be doing is very reactionary. It's very, oh, that looked bad. I have to do something about it. Um, And I think it's one of the reasons that uh, players who dive a lot are getting more rewarded in this league than they are getting rewarded in other leagues. Uh, The officiating here seems to be something that has a little bit more 
isn't quite as tangible. I, I think that's the the polite way that I'm going to put it. We saw cards coming out for just absolutely crazy stuff. And I think we saw cards coming out in this particular match as a as the referee going, I don't care if what you did was card worthy. I care that I'm showing you I, I'm the one who's in charge here. And I'll be really honest with you, that's wrong. Uh, the referees, their position on this field is to protect the health and safety of players. And if a rule gets broken, acknowledge that the rule was broken and don't allow unfair play to continue. That's it. They're not there to, to tell people, I'm your boss. They're not there to, to hang their cards up in the air and go, you do what I say or else. Uh, we know what the players are supposed to do. The players know what they're supposed to do. And whether the, the players in this league are, are getting unfairly punished by some of these reactions or whether the players in this league have, have possibly earned it a little bit by the fact that they do oversell challenges sometimes. And uh, it's, it is becoming a, a place where I don't feel like I have seen two games officiated the same way back to back i mean justin have you have you seen two games back to back officiated the same way i mean i i think the standard here is considerably worse than than what i see in you know even leagues that i think get get knocked pretty bad uh for the standard of officiating it is it's wildly inconsistent uh match to match and and i would say that it's it's a lot of times wildly inconsistent within a match you know i think there's a lot of issue uh when and, you look at a couple of the yellows that were handed out that's the one that gets me more justin is that it's wildly inconsistent inside of a single match heck it's wildly inconsistent inside of a single half um yeah. i think that's fair to say and to this point i have kind of felt like the officiating was bad but it wasn't unfair it was bad to everyone that Charlotte FC wasn't getting unfair breaks because bad calls were all going at them. I have seen a little bit of sort of chaos officiating in every direction. And that is one thing I will say is that there is consistency in complete inconsistency. And so I haven't felt like the, the officiating standards have affected the outcome of games. Would you agree with that? The only one that I really had a problem with was actually our uh, our match against. Uh, I think it was our match against DC United, the I think the very first one of the season, where we got called for a handball that I thought was light, very light. Uh, you know, hand in a natural position. Uh, DC United got away with I thought a very similar handball. Uh, and that didn't get awarded as a penalty. Um, and, so uh, I'll give you that one because I remember that handball call. Um, but but either way, I, I think at this point in time, it's fair to say uh, the officiating is always going to be something that we're going to have to learn game to game. Uh, it doesn't seem to matter how well you know the rules of this game. The officiating is going to be kind of up to the guy with the cards in his pockets. And that seems like it's just going to be part of how the show is run. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to pass this off really quick, uh, Justin, because you had a, a statement that you said 
you feel like we're having a little bit of a lack of width in our current formation. Do you want to, we'll, we'll give the refs a little bit of a break because I'm sure they're getting, <laughs> they're getting hit from everybody right now. Um, we'll give the refs a break. Do you want to talk about how you feel like right now width is part of the problem on our team? Yeah, it, you know, I think that we've talked before about some of the issues that we've got offensively. We've talked before about, you know, the the fact that a lot of times we've got a lot of passing through the middle that doesn't really seem to go anywhere. There seems to be sort of an aversion to getting wide and swinging crosses in. Um, I think that we're seeing an extension of that, especially defensively on the road, uh, where I, I saw it a little bit in the New England Revolution match. I saw it again in this Colorado match. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of directive or, or tactical positioning to push the backs wider. So Jalen Lindsay and Joseph Mora in this match uh, and to challenge the crosses and instead maybe to, to try and defend again in that sort of tighter block around the goal uh, to prevent good quality shots from making it through. And I think it's very risky. I, I think that you know, I'm a little disappointed not seeing Jalen Lindsay and Joseph Mora step out and challenge a, a little quicker. They're just a couple of steps slow getting out to challenge these crosses coming in. I think it ends up biting us. Uh, you know, you saw it in the New England Revolution match, the first goal, there there was not a challenge uh, on by out on that right wing. You know, Fuchs, whether it's he was too slow getting out or if he's been tactically instructed to do this, you know, I don't think that we're getting out as wide. I don't think that we're seeing the width carry through the midfield. You know, I think a lot of what we're trying to do would be helped if you saw those backs pushing a little forward in attack, and, and especially on the road. I don't think we're seeing as much of that from Joseph Moore and Jalen Lindsay playing in the wider areas of midfield to allow some of the triangles that I think Miguel Angel Ramirez is looking for, the passing triangles to appear. And I think we're seeing that lack of width in the final third, too, where we're just not seeing, you know, we're not seeing the width setting up for crosses. When we do see crosses, if they're overhit, a lot of the time what I'm asking myself and, and sometimes asking my TV to respond is, where is the other back on the other side to collect an overhit cross and recycle it back into the box? Because right now an overhit cross is just out to touch. There's nobody on the other wing, uh, you know, collecting that to recycle and, and keep the attack going. And so I, I think I'm only really seeing it on the road. You know, I'm only really seeing it when, when we have to go into somebody else's house. And I got to wonder if, you know, maybe has Miguel Angel Ramirez gotten a, an idea of what MLS crowds are going to look like from playing here in the vault where, I mean, we kind of get it rocking. You know, when I when I, I see I don't it, think there's any doubt there, about that. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of energy there. Uh, it, you know, another week, too, where Colorado, Denver was pretty empty. Yep. You know, it was better than New England the week before, but nowhere near what Charlotte does. And, and so I wonder if we're setting up in this, you know, let's be compact, let's be central and let's defend because there's a concern about, you know, is crowd noise, is the energy from the opposing supporters going to be an issue? And I don't know that it has been. Yeah. Uh, so I would say this is, a, loose. this is another broadcast. We could absolutely hear the Charlotte supporters. But you are, I think you're onto something in the fact that the balls we are throwing to wide areas often don't see a target. Um, 
or the target is so far behind the ball, they're not going to be able to get it before it goes out of play. Yeah. Uh, I do think that one of the players who holds our width on the field best is actually Jalen Lindsey. Um, I think that might be one of the reasons he has been such a, an effective force through our midfield and even into the attack is, uh, and possibly a reason why our defensive pot on the right side is working a little bit better than the left. Uh, I mean, you could just argue that player skill matters, but, uh, uh yeah, but the, I, I think generally on the right-hand side of our defense, we have more talented players than on the left-hand side of our defense. Yeah. Uh, but I, I can see how maybe part of the reason that Jalen Lindsay is standing out the way that he is, is he is kind of the only guy really operating in those spaces. And not only is he the only one doing it, he's doing it pretty well, which, you know, if you are doing something different from everyone else and you're doing it well, you're going to get noticed. Uh, I think you might be onto something there. I mean, I don't want to accidentally admit that you're onto something, Justin, but <laughs> but you could be onto something. Uh, we are uh, going to talk about uh, something else that is good to get onto, and that is our sponsor, Potions and Pixels. Uh, if you have been with us for any length of time, you know that Potions and Pixels is a board game and uh, video game community here in Charlotte. They are a local nonprofit, and they do all sorts of good projects for kids, for adults. Uh, they have done a cool app where you can walk around the city of Charlotte and see what it used to look like long, long ago by uh, integrating some virtual reality on your phone. They have their fingers in all sorts of fun little things, and if you get the chance to look them up, you can find them on any social media platform. And I'm going to highlight this. Coming up this Friday, uh, they are going to be doing the playtesting of a brand new game here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, they have designed a brand new board game. And if you would like to be a part of that experience, if you would like to, to be a part of the history of uh, somebody who got to go and see a game designed before it ever hit market, uh, to give your feedback on whether or not you enjoyed it, you can find that this Friday uh, at Camp North End. And we will be posting on our Instagram where you can go and uh, experience that, where you can sign up to be a part of that just shortly after this episode. So if you are interested in something like that, if you think it might be fun to, to try out for the first time, we highly encourage it. Potions and Pixels, write that down because it's absolutely a community you want to know. And Justin, is that about enough of that? think so for this week logan yeah yeah um we are gonna we're gonna jump into the bad news uh and there is bad yeah. news the there was good news we got our first ever point on the road i realized we we have somehow managed to go a half hour and we have not mentioned <laughs> that we did get a point on the road first ever point in history on the road for charlotte fc good news bad news uh our first ever goal scorer looks like he may be out for the season you want to elaborate on this justin yeah, it looks like uh, coming out of the Greenville match, Adam Armour, the 19-year-old left back, uh, who's usually, you know, uh, one of uh, Miguel Angel Ramirez's first substitute options. Uh, and, and while he is listed as a left back, he's played a lot more in the, the left-hand side of midfield in the attack. Uh, and as you said, our first goal scorer um, came out of that Greenville match. He's been He's been on crutches. It looks like from some social media news, that he may have uh, torn a meniscus and uh, damaged his medial collateral ligament or MCL. 
and he may be done for this season. Those are some long-term knee injuries to come back from. Yeah, um, and, and well, you know, injuries happen in professional sports, um, but anytime you hear the, the words season ending, uh, you just hurt. You know, these guys, they, they train for so long to be able to do what they do. And, and they put so much of their time and effort and the way they eat, the way they, they structure their routines, everything is, is to, to push the limits of what the human body can do. And unfortunately, when you're pushing the limits, sometimes uh, the limits hit back. Uh, so we are, we are so sad to hear that news. Uh, and we wish all the best to Adam Armour. We hope that, you know, as a 19-year-old, he recovers swiftly. Uh he unfortunately is not the only one. Word is Yazwiak has missed out on Colorado due to injury. Is this correct, Justin? Illness, but Yazwiak definitely didn't make the 18 against Colorado. So um, uh, that means the the starting 11 or the any of the players on the bench, mm-hmm. um, which is surprising given his presence in the in the squad for Greenville. But um, you know, hopefully not anything long term. It they'd say illness rather than injury. Uh, so, you know, hopefully that's just, uh, maybe he got introduced to the Charlotte pollen and, uh, that was not something that his Polish heritage was ready for. I, <laughs> I, I hope it's the Charlotte pollen cause that is really, really bad right now. Um, <laughs> the last one is obviously Daniel Rios went down in that match. Have we heard any news about Daniel Rios? news you know just wanted to call this out because i don't know if it's you know just too many minutes on the body or or if there's something more serious that we've got to be concerned with uh you know we we talked a little bit in our post react about the uh the the incident between rios and abubakar um there when when rios did go down hurt he was uh you know he he came off for Mackenzie Gaines after that no word yet one way or the other about his fitness going into uh this weekend's match but um you know, it always a concern to see a player come off for for you know a potential knock rather than tactical reasons. So yeah, um, I'll, I'll always want to see it be uh, their their day was done and and they came off healthy. You never want to see it be because they they got hit or they hit the ground. Uh, we're going to move along because we're going to continue our ever running challenge of you know sort of quantifying our offense to see if we can break down how it's functioning and maybe see if we can glean some insight into how we can be a bit more efficient or what pieces are needed to, to complete the puzzle. And we've been working on an experiment that I did previously for my uh, team in the Premier League uh, where I rated each offensive player for their offensive abilities based on their speed, uh, their fight, their aerial ability, their vision, and their technique. And we've done Swiderski, Rios, Bender, Alcivar, Mora, and Lindsay. If you'd like to hear about any of them, you can find that on previous podcasts. You'll find it on the last two Wednesday podcasts. Uh, we do some really cool breakdown of why we're giving them these numbers and why we feel like they they fit these what we're giving them. But today we're going to look a little bit further back in the field, and we're going to talk about Brant Bronico, and we're going to talk about Alon Franco. And I- I'll be honest... I personally feel like these are probably our two most well-rounded players, uh, if not if not up there in the well-roundedness. So, uh, Justin, I'm going to let you pick because most of the time I take host privilege and I just tell you what I want to do. So, 
uh, this time I'm going to be a, a kind host, and I'm going to say, would you prefer to do Bronico or Franco first? Let's talk Brant Bronico in the defensive midfield. All right, let's and, talk Brant Bronico. Uh, and I'll agree with you that these may be our most well-rounded in that I think these are the two that are going to have the fewest spikes up. But also probably some of the, the you know, not many in, uh, low scores here, you know. Yeah, I think they're uh, in the middle. I, they're in the middle of our pitch for a reason. They do about everything well. Um, so let's talk about Brant Bronico, who I will give a shout out for Brant Bronico has just recent, re- recently released his BB13 brand. Um, it is uh, not uncommon that professional athletes will release a, a brand alongside of their name. Roger Federer has one in tennis. Uh, it, they're out there. Uh, obviously, Michael BR7. Jordan. Yep. Uh, Michael Jordan obviously has uh, his brand. Uh, Brant Bronico just released it, released his BB13 brand. And, you know, uh, congratulations to him. If you want to be able to find anything like about that, you can look up BB13 anywhere it can be found. And you can see the stuff that he has available. But... We are going to be talking about how fast Brant Bronico is. And uh, Justin, I think I'm going to let you field this one. What are you thinking? So Brant Bronico to me feels like uh, a 2.5 to 3 on the speed. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know that he's uh, he's not much of a burner that I've seen. Yeah. So I will tell you, I have preemptively filled threes across the <laughs> entire board. For Brant Bronico, because I feel like he is good at everything and not spectacular at any of these things. Um, I I do think there are some places where he might deviate from that three a little bit, maybe a little bit up or a little bit down. But I feel like Brant Bronico holds the top of our defense because Brant Bronico, it almost doesn't matter what what challenge you throw at him. He is the great jack of all trades in our team. Um I think a three is fair. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I don't think that he is particularly slow afoot, but he is not a guy that's going to... I mean, I haven't really seen him beat a lot of guys on the dribble or anything like that. Although I will say the Charlotte subreddit had a beautiful piece of Bronico skill posted up to a oh, little, little tap around. Oh, my goodness, that was good. I, I will admit I knew he was coming up for that, and that that little piece that we <laughs> saw on the subreddit... It, it almost made me be like, you know what? He gets 0.5 on, on technique just for that. Like, nothing else. Like, that was so clean. Um, anyway, we'll move on to fight. And I think fight could be one of the categories. He actually goes above the three. He exists in that midfield alone, and he's not afraid to take the scraps to do it. Would you agree with that? Maybe we're looking at a 3.5, maybe even a four here. You know, I, I am perfectly okay pushing Brent Bronico up to a four on this because that's that's – what he's there for, and and I do feel like he gets stuck in in the right ways. You know, I think that he's he's gotten you know some of the yellow cards that you kind of expect from a defensive midfielder. Part of that is literally the technique of being a defensive midfielder. It's it's yeah. knowing when to take the tactical foul to interrupt the fast break. Yeah, I would um, agree. But you know, I think the rest of the time he's stuck in nicely. Uh, I think I've seen him you know play some passing lanes effectively too. So. You know, I think he's, I think a four is effective and, and accurate for Ronico. Okay, yeah, I, I, I think that, I think he has earned that through his play. You know, I don't think he is the strongest in the duel, um, but 
he is absolutely willing to go into the duel and make you win it. And and he's he's feisty and he's got the fight. Uh, we're going to talk about his aerial threat next. Not a huge guy, but again, as somebody who's very fighty, somebody who is willing to go up and challenge the ball in the air. Where where are you looking at here, Justin? You know, sticking with the theme, I, I he's 5'9", and he's not really what you would call an offensive threat with with his head in that, that I don't think Brent Veronica's job is to be in the box when crosses are coming in or anything like that. But if you want to talk about his aerial presence, you know, trying to make wins uh, in the middle of the park uh, on aerial balls, he's, you know, average to slightly above average on that, I think. I, so, I personally think a three. I think he is dead middle of the the pack in MLS. Yep. Would you agree? Okay. Uh, so we're going to move on to vision. And this is the other place I think I'm going to push him maybe to a three five is because he has kind of acted as our outball. And I don't think he has the technique to hit the super long cross field stunners um, that some people have the ability to do. But he does appear to see the vision as the play develops. And he has been a key instrument in us playing a counterattacking style. Uh, Would you be comfortable with a 3-5 here? Do you want to go higher? Do you want to go lower? Here's the thing. I I think I'm I'm okay with vision going up a little bit. but, uh, But I think the... It's really hard because I, I think that he dribbles the ball fairly well, but I think his passing technique, you know, it's inconsistent more than anything else. Well, yeah, uh, I, I think when we get on to technique, which which maybe we can just go to, but I think when we get on to technique, we're going to have to talk about that. Yeah, so, so um, you know, I think Vision's okay at a 3.5. I, I lean a little bit more 3, but I can be talked into the 3.5. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I will. Uh, I'll buy you a coffee. I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll wine and dine you because I actually think Brant Bronico deserves the three five here, um, and and hopefully you'll come to see it my way. Let's let's look at technique because I I don't think I think Brant Bronico's strengths are everything else. I think he's such a well rounded player everywhere else that he is kind of getting away with not having the sharpest passing um, and not quite being able to play the same ball through the lines that you would expect of a more advanced attacking midfielder. His, his role is deeper and that's why we're seeing him win challenges and be fighty. Would you think maybe a two five here, Justin, what are you thinking? Yeah. I mean, like I was saying, I I think if we're going to give him the three and a half on vision, I, I think that there have been too many passes that have let him down. Uh, like we said, beautiful piece of technique on the the subreddit to dribble around a, a, an on-rushing Colorado defender. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you haven't gone out to the Charlotte Football Club subreddit, I, I invite you to go check out that that little gif of him doing that. But but that one moment, I don't think necessarily makes up for. I, I have just seen too many passes from Brant Bronico that I'm not super thrilled with. The there's a crispness to the placement. There's a crispness to the weight that has been a little lacking from Bronico. And for that, I, I feel like I got to knock him a little bit on this technique. Okay. Um, so that leads us to Alon Franco. And Alon Franco is going to be probably the hardest one for me 
because Alon Franco seems to kind of be everywhere and do everything. And at the same time, that also he also kind of blends in with the play in an almost seamless manner. Uh, so uh, this is going to be the challenging one for me. I think Alon Franco is fast, but I don't think he's breathtakingly fast. I think Franco's a 3-5 in speed. Uh, and mm-hmm. I have come to that after a whole lot of thinking about it, just hours and hours and hours of of pouring over the ideas in my brain. And then ultimately, I threw a dart at a dartboard that just had numbers scattered on it randomly, and that's what I landed on. I I think that for the most part, what I see at Alain Franco is a lot of the same thing I see out of Carol Swiderski, where he can be super quick, but I don't know that he's necessarily long-term fast or anything, you know? Okay, and well, I so... think it's fair that we give him the same score as we gave Swiderski, which is a 3-5. Yep. All right, uh, my dartboard tells the truth, and uh, that's a good lesson for everybody at home. Uh, those yes-no, maybe dartboards that you have in your home, they are uh, omniscient, so... So keep that in mind. Uh, his fight. I think his fight probably comes to about a 3.5. Yeah. Yep. I think he's slightly better than the average MLS player. Um, whereas previously I just kind of put 3.3 for everything in Bronico. I think we're just going to put like a 3.5 for everything in uh, Alon Yeah, I, Franco. I mean, I got to say I like Franco a little bit better in the midfield than I like Bronico. He's not a standout guy. He's not what I would consider an undroppable guy in the starting 11, but but he's not the first one I would drop out of the starting 11. Yeah. I think he's very effective. You can put him in I any think... system. You can put him in any place in the midfield. You can put him in any game against any person, and you're going to get a 7 out of 10 from Alon Franco. And it's going to be an effective 7 out of 10 is, is how yeah. I, I'm currently feeling. Um, so his aerial threat, I think this is, again, probably where he falls a little short. Um, maybe bad choice of words there on my part. My apologies <laughs> to Owan Franco. Um, but maybe maybe this isn't his strength. What what are you thinking about here? I mean, I, I don't know that I have seen any more or less from Owan Franco uh, in the air than I have from Brent Bronico. I think that they're both, you know, gonna, I think they're both threes. Can we give him a three? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go out on a limb here on the next one on his vision and I am going to slate him. Uh, and I'm going to say, I don't think his vision's all that good. Uh, I think he is very solid in everything else. I think his vision is probably a little bit below average. Um, and I say that because I think his technique is well above average and I think that if he had a little bit more vision on the ball and off of the ball, we would probably see him be a little bit more effective. How do you how do you feel about that? Um, you know, he strikes me as sort of a bang average vision guy too. So so, you know, I think that's probably fair. I do like his technique. Um, uh, you, you know, I could probably. I would lean a three for his vision, but I could be talked down to, I think, to a two five. Cause I think that there are times there, there are times with vision, right. Where, where sometimes I just don't know if it's, you didn't see the pass in time or the system says, don't look for the pass. Um, 
Yeah, I guess and, I can agree with where you're coming from. Uh, I think that you have less time in that interior space in the field. So in order to show you have good vision, you have to be ahead of the curb. And I'm not necessarily uh, putting him up against wingers who have more time to look at the field. I'm looking at him as an interior player in the MLS and trying to 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 say where he is in that position. You know what? Let's give him a three. We'll give him a three. Um, that the way I look at it with him is, I think there are at least fifteen other MLS teams that would not be upset if Alan Franco was one of their starting midfielders. Yeah, I would. I would call that fair. You're right. You have convinced me. I don't. I don't like to admit it, but I have been convinced. Uh, so that leaves us with technique, and I actually think his technique is pretty good. Uh, he is feisty with the ball at his feet. It's hard to take the ball off of him. Uh, and he dribbles pretty well. His passing is pretty sharp, although it doesn't go over long stretches. I feel like he's a 3-5 or a 4 here. What are you thinking? 3-5 is a fair for Veronica. It, it almost the way that he is a little bit, or uh, for Franco, in almost the way that he's a little bit of an inverse of Veronica, where he's he maybe doesn't see the passes developing the the, the play as well, but when he does, I think he's got a better weight on his pass. I think he's got a better touch to it. Um, you know, I think he is, he is, despite the evidence that's out there on the subreddit, a little better with the ball at his feet than Brant Bronico is. Um, if I had to choose between one of these guys to play in central midfield going forward, if there was going to be some kind of system change, I would rather have Alain Franco on the field than Brant Bronico. See, um, I, I, I don't, it, it, it would be tough for me to have to choose between these two players. Um, the only reason I say that is I think the fight that Brant Bronico brings to the table is so valuable. I think in the position he is in, uh, and we are, uh, for those of you who are who are listening with us, uh, we are going to be taking all these scores, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to apply my own curve to them, and we will come out with a, a sort of player rating that we've designed for the position that they're in. And I feel like basically for Brant Bronico and Alon Franco, that fight rating there in the middle of the field is actually going to have quite a high weight. Um, but it, it, it would be tough. These two guys, they're both very good players. They're both better than average in the midfield. They both show it well. They're both very well-rounded. Uh, and and it, it makes sense that players in the middle of our field would be the more rounded players. Uh, do you want to add anything onto that, Justin? No, I mean, it, you know, I'm I'm happy having them both for the time being in our squad. Uh, is there opportunity for growth and improvement from both of these guys? Absolutely. You know, uh, uh, what is it? Franco's 23 and Bronica's 26. Neither one of them is over the hill from a sports perspective or anything. Both of them have opportunities to continue to learn and grow and become better. Um, it, it, and I think the challenge of a player like Derek Jones, you know, behind them makes them both better. Um, I, w I would agree. Competition is always good. Uh, so I think we go on to some final notes here. Uh, Justin, you have here that Yazbiak is training with the team. Do you want to, you want to talk about that? Oh, sorry. Those are. Oh, uh, apologies. Um, but, uh, um, yep. 
uh, right. Yazwiak, I, I think, is back. Our, our final notes for today, we do have uh, a couple of uh, Charlotte FC players have gone out on loan again uh, with this relationship we've got with the Charlotte Independence. Carlos Santos, who, if you got a chance to watch the Greenville match, we got a, a cameo from him. I thought he was uh, effective in his cameo in defense. Um, it has been loaned out to sh uh, the Charlotte Independence. And our, I think, fourth goalkeeper, Adrian Zendejas, has been loaned out to Charlotte Independence to get him uh, that opportunity. And, you know, reminder, we had guys like uh, uh, Christian Fuchs and Brant Bronico and Adam Armour who were loaned last year before Charlotte FC started playing uh, to the Independents, got a chance to season in the city and everything. And, and you know, um, I think we see positives from this relationship with the Independents. So excited for those guys to get some minutes. Yes, um, and we do have Orlando this Saturday. Uh, so coming up, we'll have uh, another on-the-road game. It will be another chance to sort of solidify our uh, our style on the road. And maybe we come away from this one with our first ever away win. Is there anything you'd like to shout out about Orlando, Justin? Uh, I mean, they were early in all of, all of our seasons and, and everything, but they are currently uh, third in the East. Um, they went on a, a three-game win streak there for a while, just lost this past weekend uh, to break that. But, you know, they are ahead of us in the standings uh, by by four points. Um, we're, we're at a negative three goal differential. They're, they're at zero. They've scored just as many as they've conceded. So um, maybe a little bit more proficient offensively than we have been so far. Um, but, uh, you know, it'll be fun, I think, to, to go down and see the guys play uh, in the Florida heat Yep, and uh, see uh, how they do. It, it will be a, a hot game one way or the other. The scoreline will either be very hot because Charlotte FC is going to light it up, or it will just be Florida where it is always ridiculously hot. Uh, but with that note... We are going to uh, wrap it up here. As ever, we love you for spending your time with us. Thank you so much for sharing this uh, with us. And we will talk to you after that match. Goodbye.